Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm super excited for our guest coming up, super successful agent investor himself, Mark Lofler. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about your background, like where you're geographically from, like how you're involved in real estate now, and then we'll get into some of your like your past and what you're doing today. Yeah. Uh, So Mark Loeffler. um, So I'm just outside of Toronto in Canada. And uh, where I'm at in real estate right now is I have have a partner. Uh, She basically handles any of the residential business. And I basically focus on investment properties, but primarily apartment buildings and a little bit of land development. So yeah, uh, interesting that you're doing apartment buildings. That's something that um, we've been getting into in the past, like 12 to 18 months. And we always used to just buy kind of like traditional, like two family, three family, four family. And now that we've kind of veered off in this route, um, you know, we're we're pretty happy we made that 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 jump. But um, that's cool. So you're, you're doing a lot of things. So let's let's back it up for a second. So how did you get into real estate to start? Yeah, so I, w- I was a real estate investor. So I've been a real estate investor now for about 18 years. Uh, I've been a real estate agent for about 11 or maybe 12. So I was five or six years as an investor before I ever uh, got licensed. And um, yeah, I started off buying duplexes, same thing, uh, like run down duplexes, fix them up, refinance them, keep going. Um, and then at some point I had a hard time finding an agent in an area and I'm like, well, you know, there's not really any good ones. Why don't I just get my license? And I got my license and that was the uh, <laughs> beginning of the end, I guess. Yep. Uh, so, you know, we always like on this show, we have people that they either start as investors and then became agents or started as agents and became investors. And what I always, you know, tell people as much as I can is like, there's so much synergy between the two. And like, if I'm on like a bigger pockets, you know, thing, people will say, oh, you know, I'm an investor. Should I get my license? What are the pros and cons? And I always laugh about it because I'm like the cons, like what, what could the cons even be, I think that there's some maybe like misconceptions about like what you can't do as an agent more than anything else. And um, so when you, when you started, you were buying, you said like two families typically. Yep. Two families. And, um, and that was in, you're in Toronto, you said. Yeah. In Toronto. So what are the number, what did the numbers look like when you first got into this? Like what, what was a two family then? Like what did it cost? And then what were the rents out of curiosity? Yeah, so I was buying stuff uh, anywhere from two to three hundred fifty thousand, so two hundred thousand to three hundred fifty thousand, depending on where. Yeah. Um, I was buying bungalows. The bungalows up tops were renting for fourteen fifty. The downstairs were nine fifty. Yep. Um, those are now worth about seven hundred thousand dollars, and and they only rent for twenty three hundred up top and like fourteen hundred in the basement now. So. Um, but like my one duplex I bought in Toronto, my third property was 285,000 at the time we rented the main floor for 1400. We lived in the top floor and we like the, the base that that's now worth, I don't know, one, five, one, six, who knows. Um, and the, 
the main floor two bedroom really only rents for maybe 23, 2400, probably maybe a little more 2500. And the top floor where we are, uh, we just rented it out again for 2300. I mean, the rents haven't gone up as much as obviously the prices. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of reasons for that, but, um, so it's interesting. So like you started out like two families is where a lot of people start out. I mean, anyone, like, I don't know what the, the lending regulations are there, but basically in the United States, if it's four units and under, you can kind of get like, like, like a residential loan on it. And then once you go four units, um, it becomes commercial and it becomes a little bit, I guess, harder to kind of get into that. Like, is it the same there? So it's the same. It's, well, you can get a residential up to six units here with okay. one of the banks. Um, but the problem with the difference, I guess, between Canada and the U.S. for financing is you guys can probably buy duplexes all day long and continue to get portfolio mortgages against them from a local bank or something like that. Yep. Whereas Canada, once you get 10, 15, well, you're into commercial financing anyways, and it's a lot harder to get financing on those, those little duplexes than, you know, to go, then go buy buildings. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting because like when it becomes harder, it's a negative in one way, but then it reduces the amount of competition in another way. So it's like, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Because like, if, if you have, if you have more competition to buy an asset, it's harder to get a deal on it. But if, if you're not able to get traditional financing on something, you know, it can, it can be bad in some ways for you, but then you've got less competition on that asset. Yeah. Except everybody you're competing with is they're buying the first or second property and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're able to get regular financing on it. Right. So it doesn't help, (laughs) doesn't help us. But I mean, that's basically why I made the switch from doing that because I tell everyone like the most amount of money to be made is in the two to four units because you can turn them that much quicker, right? Like you can renovate them that much quicker refinance them that much quicker when you're talking about a building at least in Ontario where we are like we have some pretty draconian um, uh, landlord tenant rules and it's you know it's it's sometimes can be tough to turn units and and get that rent up to to be able to uh, refinance to burn them so you know we have a rule like not that we have a rule but the rule that I kind of go you know on people is like you want to pay no more than a hundred times what your monthly rents are. And that's just like a quick back of the napkin, like, am I even in the ballpark to cash flow? So the numbers you kind of gave me, you were paying mid twos and then you were collecting, you know, high two thousands, right? So you were right there. So you were cash yeah. flowing on those assets on day one, right? Oh yeah. When when I bought when I when I started investing, yeah, it was great. Like it was great cash flow. It was working. Now now the numbers it, it, where I am, I don't think makes sense. So it's funny though. I just sold seven buildings. Yep. So like I just sold 27, $28 million worth of real estate mm-hmm. and I'm looking to redeploy that to other areas where I think have better opportunity right now. And we're going through the same thing here, like literally same exact thing where that's why we started getting into some apartments because like you mentioned, you know, like the two, three, four units, people can live in them. So the prices kind of get bid up. I mean, I think the other thing that happened in those 18 years is like what's happened with interest rates. So, you know, you're going back to, you got into the market in like 2002, 2003, like somewhere in that range. What were the rates back then? Yeah. So I I was north of six, which we have different, a little bit different financing. Like we have 
adjustable rate mortgages every five years. They basically come up any like and they're 25 year AMs. They calculate a little differently than you guys. I wish I got a 30 year AM yep. and like you guys, like 30 year fixed rate mortgage. That's that's a beautiful thing. Like you guys don't know how lucky you have it with that stuff, right? Your banking system for all its flaws with, with, with 2008, 2009 crisis, like you guys have way more opportunity down there than, than we do yet, you know, but now like, so then I was getting six, I think my Toronto property, I was 7.35. I was still cash flowing, right? Like I was, I was basically living for free. I had to pay my, the, the utilities, the tenant was paying half the utilities and I was, I had half the utilities and property taxes was my only expense living there. Yeah, and that's one of the things like interest rates are play such a variable on some of the stuff because, you know, sometimes people say, well, rates are too high. Like, I don't want to buy something in a high rate environment. And for me, I'm like, I would rather buy in the high rate environment because interest rates and prices tend to, to go opposite of each other. Like the higher that's the right. interest rate, the lower the price, the lower the interest rate, the higher the price you're paying. So you'd rather actually, if you had to pick, which you can't. But if you had to pick, you'd rather start out at like a 10% interest rate with a really low number, right? Like paying yeah. 150 for those two families. And then all of a sudden, as interest rates drop, the, the value on paper goes up. And at the same time, you're able to refi and now cash flow even more. Exactly. And the, yeah, the market makes you look like a genius. That's for sure. So yeah, I, and I mean, there's always ways to do it. Like it doesn't matter what market you're in. There's always ways to kind of make money on it. Oh yeah, for sure. So you said you were an investor for five or six years before you became an agent. What was that time frame again? Yeah, around five or six years. It's all a blur now. So and what <laughs> maybe you, even seven. And what were you doing during that five to six year period? Were you a full-time investor? Were you like, you had a full-time job or a part-time job? What were you doing during those years? So at the start, I worked for a company like um, you, you've seen the show Office Space, yep. not Office Space, um, The Office. Yep. I was selling paper and paper accessories, basically toner, paper, so office supplies. Uh, and then so early on in my investing career, I left that and I basically have kind of been a full-time investor. I started a company where we were doing um, rent-to-owns. Uh, so we had a company that put those together. I sold that to my partners. I, I did some contracting for a time. I um, worked for a property manager for a time, but basically until that point, and then, um, so that, then when I sold the rent to own company, I did that for a couple of years and I wrote a book on rent to owns. And then I, after writing that book, which was a, like basically three months of my life to write that book, I had a lot of free time. I'm like, oh, why don't I get my real estate license? Cool. So you were, you were busy. So what was the, um, I guess, what was the, the thing that made you say, okay, like I've been a successful investor. Now I should actually get my license. It was kind of just like a, you know what? I'm having a hard time finding a good agent in this area. Um, I want to invest more there. So why don't I just go ahead and get my license and then I can I can have more access to deals and, and that type of thing. I really only did it for myself. So this is a perspective that you hear a lot of investors talk about. And this is something for the agents that are listening to this right now, like your ears should be perking up. Mark said he had a difficult time finding a good agent. And I don't want to speak for you, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. I'm sure. under the assumption that you meant you can't find a good agent that understands investing. That's correct. Right. So like this is the thing 
Um, and we talk to like our agents about this and we talk about this all the time, like becoming like a niche expert will get you a million times more deals. Like people kind of yeah. worry about like, Hey, if I focus too much on one area, like, will I be able to service other clients? And the answer is not only will you be able to service the other clients, but whatever you're focusing on is going to expand. And there's a huge niche. There's so many different niches, but if you love investing, there is a huge niche, a huge need for real estate agents that understand how to work with investors. So Mark basically said like, I didn't really want to become an agent, but I tried to get help and I couldn't find somebody who understood investing. So I got my license. So when you did that, like when you were kind of like searching around for that agent or whatever, what are some of the types of things that like you you wanted to get help with that you couldn't for some reason? Well, I had this idea in my head of what I was looking for and I'd keep going to these agents and talking to them about it and no offense, they didn't get it. Yep. They didn't, they didn't get the numbers. They didn't understand that I, I wanted to add value to these properties. Like this was before like, everyone knew what Burr was and, you know, all that type of stuff. Right. And nobody got it. And they kept showing me properties and I'm like, like, you're wasting my time. Why, like, why am I at this property? Like, this is not what I've asked for. And like, I end up seeing a hundred properties with one guy and I'm like, you just don't get it. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so like, I think the thing is like most agents get trained to work people that they know, that know, like, and trust them. They're, they're center of influence, their sphere and um, you get a lot of really great deals from your sphere, but it's hard to kind of serve a particular niche if you're not educated. And so, it, you know, like I always talked, you know, about the fact that I think like agents are crazy if they don't invest, but on top of being crazy for not investing themselves, like I think you should at least learn how to service investors because if you even do like a half, you know, half okay job at it, you're probably going to get a ton of business because you're not going to find too many people who even half understand it. Well, I mean, you, you go back and I did this for my own things. And then, you know, one person asked me, Hey, you're out there. Can you help me find this property? I'm like, yep. sure. You know what? It's not what I'm looking for, but like, I'm happy to help you. And then that just snowballed my first year. I think I did like 56 deals. And so this is the other crazy part about this business that I, I find. And I see this all the time when people add the investing, I call it like investing tools. Like you add the investing tools to your agent business. Um, I have so many at my own brokerage. So I've got a 350 person brokerage in my own brokerage. Half of our top producers are either investors or they invest in real estate in some way. And the crazy thing about it is a lot of agents spend a lot of time to try to sell like 20 houses a year and selling 20 houses a year. Like with the price points they're at today, like you're making well over six figures. But the crazy part about it is that the ha- the, the people that invest or service investors, half of them, like, I don't even think about them as agents because they're not actually even like out there really trying to get deals, but they're using these investing tools. So it's like by accident, they're a top producer. So did you find, like, is that what happened with you? Or did you start to like focus on trying to like do deals as an agent? No, it just happened by accident. And then, then it became like, I did so many deals my first year, so many deals. My second, I did like 70 something my second year. And then my third year, I'm like, I'm like, oh man, like, yeah. And then, then it's like, okay. You know, I joined, like I was with like this little nobody firm that 
they leave you alone, you leave them alone type thing, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of broke I kind of broke their system. But yep. you know, uh, and then I went to it, I got actually educated. I'm like, oh man. I first off, I didn't I never talked to any other realtors. I didn't know. I just thought everybody did that many deals. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that there was, you know, people struggled most times to do 10 to 15 deals their so, first year. And so I fu- and so it, funny you say that. I just had an award ceremony last week, and two of our top agents are investors. And I called them and I'm like, you won an award. Like we had to do our virtu- our awards virtually this year. So I called them and like, I won an award. Like I barely sold any houses. I was like, no, you were actually in the top 10. They're like, what? Yeah. Like I had no, you know, like, so what do people, what are people selling that aren't doing well? I'm like, well, some people don't sell like more than like five houses. They're like, what? How's that even possible? But yeah. it's, it's like, because it kind of comes easier to me as an investor that you're like, how could you not be like popping these off? But so yeah. like for you, you find, you find one good investor. I mean, that's five or six deals. And that's the thing. So, so for you, like, let's just talk about, cause I think this is just like, if someone can grasp this and like implement it, it's so important. So like you did 50, which is actually, that is crazy to do like in a year where you're not really focused. Um, we don't see typically people doing 50 when they're not really trying, but like, who were the types of clients that you were like servicing in order to get the, that 50? Uh, I mean, they were all like, yeah, they were, I think I maybe had like one or two residential properties, but the rest were all um, buy and hold guys. They wanted to buy like stuff. They, they could put a little money in. So my bread and butter were $150,000 townhouse condos. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would literally sell four or five a month. And I was at a brokerage in Toronto where the average sale price was probably 600,000. And these people were like, why do you sell all these? I'm like, well, let's look at it. I I make $4,000 per deal. I sell four or five of these a month. That's a good salary. And then if I sell a $500,000 property or something else, that's bonus, right? Yep. That's how I looked at it at the end. And I just kept turning those and it was, they they were easy to get financed. Those $150,000 townhouse condos were renting for $1,300. You know, they were easy. So were you, were you going to people that you knew and like pitching them, like you should invest in real estate. Here's the opportunity or were no, people I, uh, that you were doing it and coming to you? Like, how is it working? So at first I, uh, because I was an investor, I was at these networking events. I would go to education events and I would I'd talk to people and, you know, I was a decent investor. People knew me. I'd spoke on stage a couple of times. So when I got my license, that basically, you know, I was kept talking to people and they're like, well, I'm having trouble finding something. I'm like, well, what are you looking for? I'm like, yeah, come out one day next week. We'll look at three or four properties. You'll buy one, I told them. And then that just what would happen. So, and then they obviously, everyone knows each other. So they can't said, well, you can't find a property. Go talk to Mark. He'll, he'll connect you. Yep. And I, I just think kept, that's the other, I think yeah. that's the other thing that's so important about working with investors too, is just that like, they're not the same as like me and my wife looking for a house. Like if she doesn't love the house, then we're looking at another house. And that could be 20 houses that I have you go to. That could be 50. That could mean that she says, Hey, we're just going to stay put right now. Like there's a lot of variables there, but like you mentioned with an investor, it's like you met these people at a networking event. They're there for a reason. Like they're looking to build passive income they probably don't know exactly how to do it. Maybe they have the idea in their head. Maybe they kind of know what it should look like. And then they see you, you're doing it. And 
they just want the outcome, right? They're not looking to say, Mark, hey, I want you to show me 50 houses. And if I don't love them, I don't want to buy them. They're just saying like, hey, show me something that makes money that over the long haul I can build wealth in. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll show you four. And like three of them probably work. So you just have to figure out which of the three you want to actually bid on. That's right. Um, and, and, and who knew we should have just bought everything. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think like my grandfather came here from Italy and he never completed the third grade. That's as far as he went with schooling. And um, he was a butcher. I, I forget what he made per hour. It was something crazy low. And um, all he knew was every time he bought a piece of real estate, a multifamily, he was making a bunch of money on cash flow. And this is going back to like the 60s and the 70s. So you actually cash flowed even more back then. Mm-hmm. But he just knew like I was just making money. And like the more I buy, the more I'm worth and the more money I make. So I just have to keep buying as many as the bank kind of allows me to buy. And um, I don't think I've ever really met a person. Maybe you have. I mean, I'd be curious to see what you say. But have you ever met anybody that was like, oh, like I bought too much real estate. Like I overbought, like I didn't need to buy this much, but. I mean, I no, never. And I've always, I've ran into people saying maybe I shouldn't have bought that one property or maybe, you know, yeah. I could have done something a little differently. That yeah. one didn't work out so well, but at the end yep. of the day, you know. Because over the course of time, like we know a couple of things. First of all, like the value of the dollar is going to, going to get inflated, right? We know that like that, that's not going to stop. Um, we know that the cost of living is going to go up. We know wages are going to go up. And when all those things go up, you get more rent. And then with the fixed debt part of it, I know that you're, you know, you wish you had a 30 year AM, but a 25 year AM isn't too bad either. Like, I mean, we have 25 year AM, but it adjusts every five years. Yeah. So that that makes it a little bit tougher. I agree. That does actually make it tougher because then you've always got that interest rate risk. The good news for the people who are listening is probably 99% of you are in the US. So you don't really have to worry about that. You can fix your debt. And right. you have you, you, what, what can you get a 30 year loan for right now on like a two to four unit? It's crazy. It, so if you're going to live in it and, 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 you know, there's the house hacking thing, like, do I live in it mm-hmm. and then do that? You know, you can go that route. But if you're going to do that, you're looking in the twos right now. Wow. Now, if you don't house hack, and you know, you're going to buy it and it's called an investment to start, you might be like a point higher than that. But I mean, that's not free. Like, exactly. You're shrugging because like between two and a half and three and a half, it's like, that's not the variable to consider whether or not you should buy an investment deal. Yeah. Um, so, so you started, so were most of your deals your real estate agent transactions were most of them just literally from bumping into people and be like, Hey, I do this. You should, you know, I know you're trying to do it too. Pretty well, pretty well. And then obviously referrals, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't do any prospecting. I I didn't do any advertising. Uh, I mean, I ran a very profitable business because again, I had really no expenses other than these networking expenses that to be honest with you, I was paying anyways. Right. So, um, yeah. And it was, the problem was I was, I was very buyer heavy. Yeah. So when, you, when, when I got my third year and I did a hundred deals and it's like, Oh man, I got to figure something else out here. So, so, you know, we call that a good problem to have. And yeah. so you obviously went from, you know, you're accumulating assets on your own, right. 
then you're using the real estate agent income, I'm sure, to support you know your lifestyle and maybe even buy more properties with the buy excess. Buy more properties, yep. And um, so you got to a point, obviously, where you started doing more deals than you had time. And mm-hmm. for everybody, that's a little bit different. Sometimes that's 30 deals for somebody. Sometimes it's 60. Like, you know, we all have different, like, personal lives and amount of hours that we have in a day that we're willing to spend. So you got to a point clearly where you're like, oh man, I need to do something different because I'm just running out of time. So what, when, what year was that? And what did that change look like? So what year are we now? 2021. So 2009 started 2012. I did a, um, I did a hundred deals in that year and I basically burned through two, two admins and be like, this is before DocuSign and everything. Right. So I used to be like, and I didn't have an office in the town I was working in. I think I, that year I did get an office in town or very close. So like before I'd run to like print shops and whatever, get stuff printed here, faxed there, whatever. Um, and um, yeah, like so that, that became, okay, I need buyer agents. Mm-hmm. And so I got one buyer agent. I'm like, I'm going to burn this person out like in like two months. And then I like, uh, then I got a team of 10 people all overnight. And then it's like, oh, wow. I, I did. I never liked listings, by the way. I don't, I still don't like listings. I find listings, people selling to be a little whiny and they annoy me a little bit. Right. Yeah. Uh, where, where, where's the investor side for me was impersonal. Like, it's like, you don't like it. I don't care. Maybe I'll buy it. Do you guys care if I buy this? And they're like, you're going to buy this. I'm like, yeah, it's a great deal. Why wouldn't I buy it? And yep. they're like, oh, so yeah, maybe uh, I want it now. Like, yeah. <laughs> this guy's trying to mind trick me here. Yeah. Well, people said that, but I, that's how I end up buying all my properties. I'm like looking at stuff anyways. I'm like, guys, if you don't get this, you, you're not going to be upset. Like, this isn't a gimmick. I'm going to buy this. They're like, yeah, go ahead. I'm like, and I bought the worst shit, like hoarder houses, yep. drugs, whatever. Yeah. Um, but then like I ran, I started the team and I'm like, man, I actually need to figure out how to get listings. And that's when we became prospecting based and we would call, I, I went and sat down with Jeff Glover and a couple other people and learned how they did their, um, their prospecting and I hired a listing agent. So all the leads went to him and he called everyone and who overnight I had a six level team. Let's take a quick break from the episode to get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors. Join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Six levels. Are you referring to like the millionaire real estate agent? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's funny. I just, I've actually read that book four or five times now, but I haven't read it in a little bit. So, so you went, and again, this is all kind of pretty much based on the investment side of the business. You went from just being an investor and doing pretty well to saying, Hey, I'm going to essentially service other investors, you know, ran your, you know, yourself into the ground. And then talk about like, so the buyer agent side of it, how were you kind of doing that? Like when you got up to 10 people, were you just kind of like handing off clients that from people that you were getting and just saying like, Hey, here's your person. Here's your person round Robin like that. It was basically yeah, who's up. And if somebody had an expertise, they would work like in that expertise, especially on a referral. Uh, but it was just like, Hey, yeah. Uh, oh, you want to do that? Great. I'd have an initial phone call with them. And then you know what? My partner, Brandon, he's an expert in that area. He's probably going to be able to service you better because, you know, in today's market, you got to be right on these types of things. So 
I'm going to connect you with Brandon. He's going to give you a call this afternoon. Does two work as three? And then they would set up a call. I would have him call and he would take it away or, you know, Alex, Kelly, Jax, whoever, right? So, so when you got to that point, <clears throat> were you looking to also like, have them like build a business and you're making some money off of their transactions too? Or you, were you yeah. just like, I need to hand these things off. And if they produce fine, if not, like I'm going to just keep feeding them. So, I mean, I was out of, like, I wasn't selling at that point. Right. So yeah. like, I mean, we're 50, 50 on the buyer side. I was taking 75% on the listing side to 25 to the listing agent. Uh, I had the full admin team going we didn't, again, we still didn't advertise all that much. It was all prospecting and uh, referral and, and through um, the database then. Cause I mean, I had a 4,000 person database by that point, right. Of investors. And yeah, I mean, I mean, we would train them and, but they all had their goals and if they didn't really hit their goals, they'd leave anyways. And we'd get somebody in who wanted to hit their goals. And how were you finding talent at that point for your team? Uh, everywhere and anywhere. Uh, so we are advertising. We did a lot of wise hire. Yep. Um, we liked wise hire, but a lot of them just came from referrals or through the, um, through the brokerage, like the brokerage would meet a new agent. They'd say, we're looking at a team and they would talk to them a little bit and they would always send them over because if they couldn't close them, they'd rather have them on my team than not at the brokerage. So I'd get a lot of leads to the brokerage as well saying, Hey, you should meet with this person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great, op- I mean, that's a great opportunity for somebody. Yeah. And, and through my team, that brokerage, I, I moved on to a different brokerage closer to my new home, but like their top three teams at the office, two of them were people who were on my team before. Yep. And now were those people also using the investment strategy of like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. So you, you built like a coaching tree almost. Pretty well. That's awesome. Um, so you got to the point where you had 10 people then. So talk about the prospecting. What were you doing? What, what was the objective there to call people to door knock them? Like, what were you doing to get business in the door? All cold calling, all mojo, three line dialer. Yep. Um, basically the, the basic premise was, Hey, it's a uh, Mark calling from Keller Williams real estate. We're calling today because we recently sold the property in the neighborhood. We know when one property sells, usually two more sell right away. So we were wondering, when do you plan on moving? Yep. And as simple as that, right? Yep. That script over. And I, I think it's funny because people always are like, what's the best script? And it's like, the best script is just to, to make the volume, right? The yeah. volume of calls and the script that you use is so simple, but you make enough of those calls and you get people to start raising their hands. Well, um, people are like, well, not today in, in a year. Great. Yeah. Do you mind if I give you a call back in six months? And then that would float to the, um, to the listing agent. And all his job was, was to follow up with those. So when you were doing that, now who was making the calls? Was it like a staff member or was it agents that were making the calls as well? But buyer agents made those calls. We also had two, um, two um, people from the Philippines making those calls. Yeah. And then, so, um, and, and the objective there was, was the objective at all to buy any of those properties or just to get listings simply? We bought some of the properties for sure. Yeah. 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 That's another, yeah. Then so like we do, we do a lot of different types of marketing. We do a bunch of mailing and stuff like that. And our, our main objective, if we can, is to buy the house, but then we go the opposite way. Like if, 
they don't want to sell to us and they want, you know, more of a retail traditional process, then um, we'll go the other way and we'll, we'll list some of those homes. Yeah. But um, so you, how many listing people at that point did you have on your team? Was it like one listing agent or multiple? One, just one listing agent. Now, what year are we up to now? I'm trying to, trying to follow along. Yeah. So that was your, so around 27, 2016, maybe 2015 is when I got a listing agent. I ran that for two years and then I actually, so 2015 got the listing agent, 2017, I sold the business. Oh, wow. Um, and then 20, so I, and then I didn't do anything for a year, maybe two. I bought, bought real Blacker. estate myself personally. Yeah. And then uh, 2019, I actually became like an office manager, team leader for Keller Williams. And then at the start of 2020, I got out of that and basically just said, okay, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to do real estate. It's what I do best. And I'm basically focused on commercial properties and my partner does the residential side because I still get a lot of those leads. So she she handles that. And there's just two of us. And again, keep it simple. Yep. Yep. I, I hear that too all the time. And, um, you know, sometimes like, you know, you can make almost as much money being small as you can being bigger. Yeah. Like With again, that. we'll, we'll net half a million dollars in, in GCI and, yeah. you know, Yep. Hear it all the time. Like people, people are like, I get 15 team members and I'm making like a dollar more than I did when I had two team members. That's right. You know, and I'm trying to make more than that $1, of course, but like, I'm kind of just making a little bit more being bigger because it's hard. Like it's, as you get bigger, like things are harder to control. Like, and it's like, who's leaving, who's going, like, how do you get the right person? And who's you know, sleeping with who and all. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of stuff, right? A lot, like you mentioned, a lot of it really comes down to the personal side. It doesn't even come down to the business side. It's like, you know, someone gets in trouble, this or whatever, and just a lot of stuff. And um, so you're, you, when did you officially kind of make, when, at what point did you make the push where you're like, I don't really want to keep buying, you know, two families anymore? Yeah. So I've been buying apartment buildings exclusively for the last five years. And what does an apartment building like mean for you? Like, like, what are we talking like unit count, like that you're targeting? So 18 units plus typically. So around 20, 20 to 35 units is typically, is typically what I'm looking for. Yeah. And, and you can like, so at least what we find here is when you start to get above a hundred units, you start Reese. to get into like, yeah, you start to get into people that they're not really going for deals. They're just like placing money. So well, they, they have pension money and yep. they need to, they need to do deals because they make acquisition fees. They need to make the fees in their funds and stuff yep. like that. That's how they make their money on these REITs, right? Like it's, yep. they raise the money over here and then they make a 2% acquisition fee. They make a management fee. And then, so what happened at least in Canada was that used to be that 80 to hundred uh, unit plus, but that got compressed. So now those, those yep. people are looking at 40 units. Yep. Right. And I'm just like, so I just sold a 32 unit and I had REITs looking at it and I was like, yep. wow, I thought this was too small, but you know, that's, and so that's who I'm competing with. So I always, when I wanted to go bigger, I was bumping up against, you know, people who are getting pension money at half a point. Yep. Yeah. So it's so interesting. And like, I, we've jumped around so much. You've, you've pretty much done, done it all. I mean, if you're talking about like residential side, like you've pretty yeah. much gone from like, 
day one to kind of like, you know, you can always do more, right? You know, I want to say the pinnacle, right. but like, I mean, I, I, I've been told I should start my own REITs or do an LPGP here. And I'm just like, at that point, it, to me, it gets too complicated. And yeah. It's just like, I, I like to keep it simple. I have my, my like last five years, I've been buying with exclusively one partner, two partners type thing. So it's been easy. It's been simple. And yeah. And I think the thing is, right, like for most of the people that are listening, like you've gone up pretty much all the way that you can go. And like you mentioned, hey, there's still another level that you could go to. But like for a lot of the people that are on this call, like I want to just go back to like, you know, your beginning, which was just very simple, right? You buy that two family. And I think, you know, you talked about being on the sixth level or whatever level, you know, we get have Gary Keller kind of defining it as, but like there's steps along the way and you went yeah. through them really quickly. And like, we talked about pretty much each year of your career in like 30 second snippets. Yeah. <laughs> but there's all these little things that happen in between. Right. And so, 100%. so I think the thing, you know, for people that are, are listening, like if you haven't started investing yet, like pro- most people's stories sound like Mark, they start out with this really simple thing. Like, Hey, I wanted to buy one multifamily. Hey, I wanted to flip one house. And it all starts with that, like one kind of like first deal. And then as you go along, like Mark didn't jump to buying like 25 unit apartment complexes, like his third deal. He kind of went up and went up and then he tried some stuff. It probably didn't work. He figured out what he liked to do. Maybe he didn't like to have a big team and now he wants to focus on apartments or whatever. And it's like everybody's story that we talk to that gets to that level. It sounds kind of the same. Like if I were to write like the bullet points, you know, they're similar, right? They're always similar. And they're always like starting small and saying, Hey, how can I do something a little bit better? How can I, you know, does this work? Maybe I made a mistake here. Okay. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And it all kind of starts with that one step. Um, yeah. And it's every step of the way, ask yourself, how can I add value? Yeah. Right. So if I'm buying property, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't want to buy turnkey because if I want to buy one or two properties, turnkey is fine. If I want to have a, a good portfolio, then adding value is, is key. So that's a big point. Go into a little bit more detail on that about what you mean. If you, I mean, adding value could mean a lot, lot of different things, right? Yep. Um, adding value could be, you know, that you buy a property and they have really crappy tenants and it's dealing with those tenants, getting them out. And just turn it like do a little lipstick on the property and, and rent it out to better people. It could be, you know, you're buying a bungalow, adding a legal second unit or, you know, turning like right now we have people turning like one into three or they're tear down something and, and they'll build something new. Or like when I started, I was just buying rundown duplexes and yeah. I would get them vacant. I would renovate them. I'd get a better quality tenant in. And because they look nicer, you know, they would appreciate 10 to 15%. So I'd spend 10 grand on them and they'd appreciate $30,000. So this is just another concept that like, I'm actually in a coaching program. I've been for the last six months on buying apartment complexes. And one of my coaches always says to me, like, there's no such thing as like actual passive income. And what he means by that, and I think like, this is kind of highlighting the point and it really hit home for me is like, unless you just have like capital that you can deploy, which most of us don't have 
$10 million right now that just needs to get deployed. Unless yeah. you have that, you're kind of like sweat equity in a way. You're the get, active partner. Yeah. Get to the income, right? Because like what you would said about adding value, it's like in order to add value, you're doing something that somebody else doesn't want to do, right? Yeah. You're you're dealing with attending somebody doesn't want to deal with. You're fixing a, um, a property up. You're adding a, a unit, which, you know, you maybe you have to go through zoning. You're doing some work and it's worth it because the dollar per hour is extremely high, but it's not necessarily like passive in the way that you may kind of read a book and it's like, hey, like, you know, just do these three magical things and you'll never have to work another day in your life. Yeah, and if you want passive income, go buy a REIT, I guess. Right. And you can do that. And and you yeah. can you can do that, but you've got to have huge capital to start. So yeah. So for, for for you, like when when you were starting, like did you did you have any like what made you say I want to do investing to even begin with? So I saw that my grandfather had you know he had like a couple of properties, like not yeah. not a big portfolio, but like I saw that you know he bought one property at ten thousand dollars or yeah. whatever, and it was worth this much money now, right? And it's like, well, that makes a lot of sense is, you know, buy a property and hold it. Then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And we, then I read... Do- we literally have the same story. It's actually crazy with the grandfathers and then the Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But go yeah, ahead. And, that, and then I read Dolph DeRoos, Real Estate Riches. Okay. And Dolph, Dolph DeRoos, Real Estate Riches was the Rich Dad advisor at the time. Yep. And basically that was the basic numbers. And yeah, he's the Australian guy. Uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, New Zealand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. I'm getting there. Don't, just don't, don't tell them though. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then it was the numbers and I just ran, started running numbers and it was like, you know, is it this simple? And then I bought my first property and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more work obviously. Cause I was managing yeah. the property. I was doing the renovation. I was actually doing actual <laughs> renovations, which may yeah. be good at start, but don't keep doing that. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I bought another one, like, the next block over. And then I started buying, you know, I bought my principal residence and I bought a couple more in that area. I kind of moved around to different areas a little bit too, as one area got a little too expensive. I went to another and I, I, I was just hunting cash flow basically. Yeah. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is one of those books. Like if, if the, the listeners, if you haven't read that one yet, it's, it's a must read or listen to on audible. I remember well, I read, I read it every year. So you still read it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those books. It's kind of funny because I started getting mad about it. Um, like I read it, I got so excited and then I didn't know what to do next. This is when I probably read it around the same time you did. I'm going to say I read it in maybe 2004. Um, and I was, I was about 20 at the time. So I'm, I'm 38 now. And I was, I was 20 reading it and I was like, I don't know what to do next. Like, I just want this book to tell me what to do. And I, but something about the book, I loved it and it made me get motivated. And I was in the, at the, at the time, um, pre-med and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to invest in real estate. And it was like, yeah. a, you know, it, it turned that switch on. And then I spent the next couple of years kind of like trying to figure it out. Um, it took me like three years to do my first deal because quite honestly, I was scared. And, um, that was the only reason and I was young and all that good stuff. But that was the book that just like, same exact thing as you. I'm like, my grandfather had a third grade education. 
Same. Like he, he didn't have, I don't even think he had third grade, but that's okay. Yeah. Like he was from the prairies, right? Like the, yeah, it was just, you know, like he had to work. So there was, it was like, you know, you, maybe you should keep going to school, but you don't really have a choice. You have to actually work right now. So, yeah. um, so that's what happened. And it's like the same thing. And it's like, I, so I think that's the big thing, like with, with a rich dad, poor dad or a similar book, it's like, you've got to start with understanding like how big the upside is to start yeah. because you're definitely going to get kicked in the teeth all along the way. And Mark, like you're definitely a super positive guy. So there was almost no negative stories that you told all throughout the whole thing. And it was kind of almost like, Hey, this was pretty easy. But like, I, I, again, I can promise <laughs> you, I know that within those stories, within those stories that you kind of, it almost seemed like, Oh man, like, Mark special, like he had no problems within that. If you start to jog your memory, I'm sure you've got, you could write a book on all the problems that you've had. Right. Probably. But, but I mean, I, I think it's funny though, because people always like, I, had, I was talking to another investor the other day and they're like, Hey, do you remember when that happened? And like, but you, that's a, you lost a couple hundred grand, but it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. It's done. Uh, and I'm not like, I find that you lose money if you chase that money. It's like, fine, it's the, happened. What's next? That's, that's a mindset thing though, which yeah. is that you're not focused on the negative. Like yeah. the negative is happening to you, but because you can't do anything to change it or control it, you're moving on. I was going to say, so it's really funny. Like, you know, you read like the David Box or you get David Ramsey or whatever, right? Dave Ramsey. And they talk about saving, saving, saving. And oh, you know, you, if you don't stop for coffee or whatever that is, mm. you know, you save that dollar or whatever. And at the beginning of the COVID, every like I was on this other podcast, like with a brokerage or whatever, and they're like, "Well, what did you do to save money in COVID?" I'm like, um, "Nothing. I, I didn't like shut down. I didn't call my insurance. I, I mean, I yeah, I deferred some mortgages on the apartment building because well, why wouldn't I? Because you know it's free money. And but they're like, "Well, what do you mean?" I go, "Well, I just focus on making more money." Yep. Like I, I don't. Like if I, if I have a spending problem, it's not a spending problem. It's an earning problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so like all of that stuff, I mean, like, you know, you wrap it kind of all up into one. It's like, again, we have people on the show every week and, and these characteristics are the stuff that like, if you're looking to get into it, if you're looking to do this stuff, like you just have to kind of take note of the types of people that are on the show and how they think about life. Because how they think about life is typically different than how like the vast majority of people think about life. And I'm not saying it's better or worse, right? Morally, uh, it, it's irrelevant, but yeah. financially it's very relevant because at the end of the day, like that mindset is typically the distinguishment between somebody who's, because we all have people that work 50, 60 hours a week and they're not moving the needle in their financial picture. 100 hours like, we got a person like you, right? Like you just took some time off. Like, yep. Okay. Like I can just take some time off if I want. Now you earn that time off, but like you had the ability to do it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I could have kept being off, but I kind of got bored. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, to me, there's nothing more exciting than real estate. Like, you know, part of oh, me, you, is got, you, you got to start doing options trading. Jeez. Oh, no, no way. No way. Because you know why? Like I, I, so many people are talking about the stock market right now, but it's something that you can't control. Like you can't, 
you can't really have an impact on whether a company is either going to do good or bad. And even if like, even if you kind of like have like a lot of knowledge about a company, all it takes is like a product becoming obsolete, a leader leaving, like something well, like happening. You look at Amazon, they killed earnings. They crushed it. Like 100% better than expectations. And and um, what's this? Bezos says he's leaving and the stock goes down. Yep. So it's like- the Best quarter ever. So. And, and, and you can't, to me, like, and this is just why I love real estate. Like people, like I have no money in the stock market, not a dollar. Um, and um, people say to me, like, why don't you, why aren't you interested in it? And it, the answer for me is I can get a higher ROI on my money guaranteed within my control than hoping that somebody else either runs a company the right way or like the, the market just keeps going up or the economic conditions are right. Um, cause when you look at like, especially like, you know, we talked about apartment buildings, like the internal rate of return that you end up with, you're like, okay, if I'm not getting 18 to 22% internal rate of return, like I screwed up yeah. and in the stock market, yeah, you can maybe pick a stock that goes through the roof potentially, but overall you're looking for maybe like 12 or 10% or, and, uh, there's just so many variables, but, um, you know, that's definitely another topic for another day. So, so 100%. Where, <laughs> yeah, we could go on for that forever. Um, so where, like to wrap it up, like what, what's the biggest piece of advice? I mean, you know, going back to your almost 20 years now, like for somebody that's like newer, that wants to invest in some capacity, like what's the biggest piece of advice you would give them? Uh, number one is go watch all my YouTube channel. Uh, 100% okay. from day one, watch all of them. Uh, no, um, well that, and you know what, don't, don't be afraid to go get started. Don't, and here's the thing. Don't be afraid to reach out to investors. Like I, I've reached out to some major, major investors who own like a crap ton of real estate. I've talked to all of them. I've talked to guys when I started out who were buying duplexes, you know, I volunteered. One guy was like, like investing in a neighborhood I was interested in. I said, oh, you know what, you're renovating it. Why don't I come help? Like I worked for a contractor for a bit. I know a little bit of what I'm doing, ha- happy to come help and work for you for a couple of days for free. And basically I wanted to find out how you financed it, what you did, like what, like how you're doing this, um, you know, just get out there and start talking to people, network. And I know it's COVID. I don't know what you guys are down, like Canada, we're a little bit more COVID crazy. I think uh, we're locked down and stuff, but I mean, just still, you get on zoom, you talk to people, right? Like everybody's willing to share. Like every, nobody got here alone, right? Like we all had help getting here. If you're interested and you actually come and you talk to people and you take action, if you come and like waste my time and then don't do anything with it, well, the next time you call, I'm probably not, you know, going to be as receptive. But if you go ahead and like we talk and you go do some stuff, you come back with some questions, I'm happy to help. So like, and, and most people are. So just get out there, meet other investors, and, and start taking action. Go, go look at properties, go, you know, put offers in, you know, they might be low balls. They might be whatever, but you know, start doing it, running the numbers, running the numbers is, is one of the biggest things. So you mentioned a YouTube channel. Do you actually have a YouTube channel or were you joking? No, I have a YouTube channel. We're, uh, What's we're the almost 2,800 subscribers now. Um, the Mark Loeffler experience. Okay. So what, one last thing to wrap up on this there's a saying that um, I heard a while back at an investment seminar, the more you learn, the more you earn. 
And I know you were kind of, you know, joking around, like plugging your channel, but it really is true. So if you like some of the stuff that Mark talked about today, which there's a lot to like, um, I would definitely recommend subscribing to his YouTube channel. YouTube nowadays, like you can have that playing in your car. So if you're an agent, you're driving around, going to appointments after you listen to the agent investor podcast, put on Mark. No, but in all seriousness though, like find people that you want to emulate their business. It could be me, could be Mark. It could be somebody else. But nowadays there's so much free content. You know, the stuff that Mark probably puts on his YouTube channel is probably stuff that 15 years ago you could have had a coaching program with coaching program or a book or a seminar for sure. Like yeah. I wrote two, I wrote two books way back in the day when YouTube wasn't a thing. Right. So. Exactly. So it's like nowadays, like, like you mentioned, people are so open to sharing. All you need to do is be receptive to listening. So go through his channel, look for other channels that, that are going to help educate you. And definitely, like he said, you know, you got to start taking action. Um, so Mark, I want to definitely thank you for, for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, one of my first Canada guests. So there you go. I like I like hearing about different markets. I have people from all over the U.S. typically, um, but you know, getting into other other countries is definitely interesting. So yeah. and uh, I might be calling you to pick your brain because I want to start uh, investing in the U.S. So yeah, it certain areas you don't want to come to where I'm at, Boston, because you're going to run into the same problems. But there are definitely markets in the United States because it's so different. Yeah. Um, that are good, you know, apartment, you know, place. Yep. Good. So, all right, Mark, thank you again. And guys, I want to thank you for uh, joining the Agent Investor Podcast. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.